Hi and welcome to The Crime Pod. I'm Sam. And I'm Caitlin. Happy New Year everyone. Yes, Happy New Year. We hope you all had a great time and here's to a better 2022. Not that 2021 was awful, but you know, Covid. Wasn't the best, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so in this episode I'm going to start the year locally here in Edinburgh and tell wow. you... I know, for once, for once. And I'm going to tell you about the death of Sheila and... Caitlin, I know you know this one, as it's been recommended to us about a hundred times from Tracy and Lindsay. Yeah. Um, I feel they could have just done it for us. I know, they might as well, actually. They know the I story, know. they don't know why they want us to do it. Exactly. So, But here we are. Um, hopefully they don't have anything bad to say about us. Hopefully. <laughs> right. Um, so I'll just begin, I'll go straight into it. Now, on April the 7th, 1983, two people were driving along the shore road from Leith in Edinburgh. This is a road that runs along next to the shore, obviously, because I said shore road <laughs> from, I'd say, one bit of Edinburgh to the other. So in my opinion, I'd say think Leith or Granton to Cramond, you know, in a roundabout way. Um, it was a rubbish night weather-wise. It was raining and it was dark and it was just, you know, your typical April. But the reason they were driving along this way in this dark road is because they had a CB radio in the car. Now, do you know what a CB radio is, Caitlin? I've never heard of it, and I was just about to ask you to remind me what year this was again. Yeah, so it's 1983, and I had I had to ask my mum, not going to lie. So a CB radio, because in this area, it gave them great reception, and they could talk to people even over in Fife. So a CB radio. Wow. Yeah. It's a citizen's band radio. So think truckers, you know, truck drivers. Right, okay, okay. So these radios allow people to speak with each other who were on the same channel as you or even just listen to them. And I'm sure you could have caught, like, some juicy stuff back in the day. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I would love to just, like, tune into someone's car radio Mm -hmm. and then not know I'm there. Yeah, and then I'm... That would be sick. It's like police scanners and things you know yeah it's great. I would love that just being on someone's car radio they don't know I'm there bring that back exactly because we're in the 80s they've got no phones and phones wouldn't even do this so this is even better why did they even invent phones what more do they need <laughs> right so they were driving along the road and they were at Gypsy Bray which is next to Granton and Kenny Silvernouse on the other side I, I don't know if I'm wrong but you know you can vote ro- nowadays no, no, I'd say you that's can rude. Uh huh. You can cycle down there. You can rollerblade. You can walk. You know, it's a good five k kind of path. And they were yeah, driving yeah. along it. Obviously, back in the eighties, it wasn't as you know pedestrianised as it is now because they've got all those big flower boxes and things up. But they were driving, and they thought they saw a bag of rubbish, rubbish in the middle of the road. So obviously, it's never a bag of rubbish. <laughs> they obviously dodged this bag of rubbish. But it turns out it wasn't a bag of rubbish. You were right, Caitlin. I am shocked. Because they saw two feet. So they had sadly stumbled across the dead body of 27-year-old Sheila Anderson. Now, the motorists, they had got out of the car to check if she was alive. But the body looked to have been well and truly run over. 
and probably not even just once. So they got back in the car to find a phone box to call the police. Because again, we're in the 80s, you need a phone box. Now, obviously, that's quite a traumatic thing. I I don't know what I'd do in that situation. I don't, well, to be honest, I'm so blind, I'd probably run over the bag of rubbish. Oh, now, yeah, I was going to say, you wouldn't notice the bag of rubbish. I don't. <laughs> Sheila's body was badly mutilated and crushed. However, there was signs of life. So an ambulance was called, but as soon as she, she'd gotten up to the hospital, which was only up the road at the Western General, it was quite clear that she had died. Now, up to this point, they didn't actually know that this was the body of Sheila. This only came to light once he had gotten to the hospital, because luckily there was a local police officer already there who was dealing with a different case, and his interest it was obviously piqued when they brought in a young woman covered in blood and mud, because whose wouldn't? And he recognised her as a young woman who lived and worked in the area that he worked as a policeman, and that she was a sex worker. Now, the cause of death and her identity had been discovered within a couple hours. And so the first line of inquiry really was that she was a sex worker. It could be quite likely that she was killed by one of her customers, you know. So Detective Chief Inspector Jim Wilson, he was in charge of the case and he started it off by not ruling anything out. And he even suggested to start by saying that it was a road traffic accident in the hopes that it would help the driver come forward to the police. Because mm-hmm. if they said that was a murder, well, clearly no one's going to no come, come forward. Yeah, but no one did come forward. Mm. Now, within about twenty-four hours of having found Sheila's body, the police had reports from other sex workers that they had actually seen her interact with a customer in his car less than about two hours before she was murdered. Sheila was part of the new generation of sex workers down in Leith. So to make that a little more sense, Mm. Leith, it's next to the docks. It's always kind of had sex workers at it for like over at least 200 years, you know, because it's a dock. There's ships coming to and from. There's always been business for it. There are those that were in the business for years. They knew the ropes. They knew how it worked and how to handle them themselves. And they also had a better rapport with the Edinburgh police where they'd the police would kind of turn a blind eye to it as long as crime Mm. drugs etc were kept at bay the regulars were older women so as in women that were in their 20s and above they were street wise street smart and they knew what they were doing this was their business however by the 70s early 80s heroin was absolutely rife in Edinburgh and there was a huge drug problem which you know train spotting for if you want to paint a picture now because of this more and more young women were drawn to sex work to feed their habit these were women as young as even 15 and they were not street smart they didn't do this as a business they were really doing it because they needed the money for their drugs because they could be spending like a hundred pounds a day on drugs so where else are they going to get that type type of money mm. they were mostly out of it a lot of the time because they were on drugs you know and because there were so many of them the prices went down so you could 
do the deed for like a couple of pounds. So you really oh, wow. weren't making huge money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As this was happening, more of the older regulars, they began to leave the area. Drugs were big and so was the crime. So why would they want to stay there? People weren't just coming from the ships or the local area either. They weren't just coming from one side of Edinburgh. They were coming from far and wide, even places such as like Aberdeen, you know, hundreds of miles. And a lot of these people were bad people, you know, Mm -hmm. they were criminals. They were abusive. They were drug users, drug dealers. They just, you know, they were not good humans. So the scene has pretty much completely changed from, you know, before the 70s and 80s. And it was a quick change. It was a fast change, just like the drug problem. Right, okay. Now, Sheila, she was an occasional sex worker, meaning that she didn't do it every day. It wasn't her business, but she did do it frequently when she needed the money for heroin. It said that Sheila was a feisty character when she was working, and she was able to stand up for herself, and she would argue with her customers if they were trying to cheat her out of money and refuse payment. And she'd also be aggressive towards them if needed. It said that on one occasion, she had fallen Mm. out with a customer and so got out of her car, well, out of their car, sorry, and stood right in front of it, not allowing them to leave without getting paid because she deserved payment. Yeah, yeah. Could this have also happened on the night that she died? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Now, Sheila grew up in what you'd call your typical family. She had siblings. They were all close growing up. And she was a funny, bright girl, and she wanted to be a nurse when she was older. Instead, though, by the age of 20, she was married and had had her first child. And not long after, she had another wee boy. So she had two sons. Soon after, though, heroin also became a huge part of her life. No one truly knows why she got into heroin, but possibly it said that she was just getting in with the wrong crowds. Yeah, now, in my opinion, and probably everybody's opinion, but heroin is one of those drugs that you can't just do it once. It's vicious no, no. and it becomes an, it becomes an addiction in a flash. So this is when her life really started to unravel. She drifted away from her family and left her two sons and husband and went to the streets to feed her habit. She did have a day job for a while, but obviously that soon stopped because of their drugs and her attitude completely changed she was aggressive she wasn't herself so she started living in a drug squat which Mm. I think I'm imagining you know just a house and it's filled with it's not a great house now I can imagine back to the murder investigation the police didn't really have tons to go on and no witnesses came forward on the day of her murder, she was seen leaving a house in Drylaw at about noon. And then she had gone to the Willie Muir pub in West Granton at about 7.30pm. So Drylaw and Granton are close by. Yeah, it yeah. wasn't like she was travelling far. The last known sighting of Sheila alive was actually by police at around 11.30pm on Commercial Street in Leith. And she was speaking to a man. And I think Commercial Street was kind of like Edinburgh's red light district, Mm -hmm. if I'm right. On the night Sheila's body was found, her bag and shoes were actually missing. So had the murderer taken them? 
or had she just left them in a client's car and they had driven off without them you know was there no the, the person might have not known they were in there however they were found within a few hours in a car park in Long Nidre in East Lothian so that's oh. practically the completely other side of Edinburgh from where her body was found Two vehicles were known to have been at the spot shortly before midnight. One was a white rover seen travelling along the promenade just before midnight and it was traced and eliminated as it turned out just to be a police car. However, red paint was found on Sheila's body and so that then allowed the police to narrow the search to a red car. But quite a bit of time had been wasted you know, finding the white car and tracing all of this. So nothing was found and no one came forward. By the time they had narrowed it to a red car, the person could have gotten rid of it or even had the car fixed. So, and it wasn't like any mechanics and things were coming forward. No one was saying that, oh, on that night, I actually fixed a big dent in a car that was red. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So nothing, there is still nothing coming forward for this. Sheila's murder had really opened up the eyes to the police. And it showed them that they actually had such a small grip on Edinburgh's sex industry. It was completely unrecognisable from back in the day. And the girls no longer trusted the police. Due to what I was speaking about earlier with the huge change due to the heroin problem. So these were all new young girls and there was tons of crime. So why would they trust the police? Yeah, of course. Years before this, though the police were able to speak with the women and they even managed to solve crimes with their help because they had a good rapport with the police. But this was no longer the case. And it wasn't like, you know, not all of them wouldn't speak to the police, but it was, you know, a large majority. Now, the investigation wasn't really going anywhere. But then there was some hope. A woman called the hotline claiming to have vital information. Mm -hmm. And twice she had arranged to meet officers. But sadly, twice she failed to turn up. So that was a hope gone right again. The woman from the hotline was never traced either. So it's kind of thought that maybe she was also a sex worker. Yeah. But maybe she was more scared of speaking to the police than exposing a murderer. Yeah. But no one knows. Hmm. Now, now, obviously, this case spiked public interest and it was covered by the media. There was your usual folk, though, that have their opinions of, oh, well, since she's in that line of work, she put herself in that situation. So really, it's just her own fault and all that nonsense. But there was also, you know, just the usual side where it helped spread information. The case had coverage for a while. However, sadly, public interest began to fade. As in August 1983, a child had gone missing. And this obviously took over the public's interest in media coverage. But as a side note, the child that was missing was five-year-old Caroline Hogg. Don't know if you remember her name. Yes. Now, 10 days after her disappearance, her body was found 300 miles away. So it later emerged that she was a victim of one of Scotland's worst serial killers, Robert Black who we've done an episode on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if you want to listen to that one, go ahead. Um, but anyway, the case then went cold. 
So within a few months, it was a cold case. There was just nothing that they could do or find and no one was coming forward. They, they just could not work on anything. Obviously as well, DNA and things, like back in the day, forensics, etc. in the 80s, well, early 80s as mm-hmm. well, it wasn't as big as it is today. Mm-hmm. But the police did keep all the evidence, as they do with all of them, and the body fluid from the murder. And in 2009, there was a tiny new bit of hope. 26 years later, they had managed to put together a DNA profile of who they believe could be the killer. But this person is not on their database. So therefore, that suggests that he's not known to the police. Right, okay. So this isn't a known crime person and, you know, it could have been, it could have just been this one person doing it that one time and they've never done crime again. But you know what I mean? And this was another blow in the case because it wasn't taken any further because they couldn't, they just couldn't get a match to anyone. So it sadly remains a cold case to this very day. One good thing, and I I say good in quotation marks, one good thing that came from Sheila's murder is that it opened the eyes of the police as to what was actually happening. And they have since changed the way in which they police sex workers. At the time, it was as if they weren't really being looked after like the rest of Edinburgh's society because of the line of work they were in. It was like they had an intolerance towards them. So this thankfully changed, as it doesn't matter what line of work you're in, you deserve to be treated with respect and looked after by the police. Yeah. So they put in a lot of work to change their attitudes towards sex workers, and this was improved tenfold. You know, they had a woman, Pam Ellis, um, or Pat Ellis, sorry, this is just from memory, but um, she was a a detective to go in there and just look after them, and, you know, she was, they would trust her they would tell her things you know and loads of charities as well were set up um churches as well were set up as well to help the girls not to change their habit and change their lifestyle but just to protect them they had more information to them just to you know protect themselves from the public as well and you know but in the 80s and that AIDS was becoming a thing so they needed to learn about that and so there was things put in place and it started to get better now, the same kind of model that was created back then, and it was used for many, many years, and I'm sure it still is used to a certain degree. However, as you know, and everyone else, a lot of sex work has now moved to the internet. It's moved online. So yeah, yeah. it's a lot harder to monitor like who, what, where, and it, it's not as easy to make sure everyone's okay because you don't know who's doing it. You don't yeah. know how old they are. So... That obviously doesn't help. But that's kind of all the information I have on Sheila Anderson. It is a cold case. There's not a lot to go on. Um, I don't know if you have anything to say. That was good. Like, maybe, like, find out a lot of information kind of thing. But it is a shame there's just, like, not any more about it. Was there any other deaths like hers or... Not that I know of. I was, mm. I'm was. i guessing there would have been and they wouldn't have been, you know, as big or reported. Um, obviously, probably sex workers, they get killed or abused on the daily. 
depending yeah, on yeah. what country you're in as well, you know. But nothing that I know of that was like Sheila Anderson, especially in Edinburgh mm. and at our side of Edinburgh as well. It was practically it was it was a hit and run, and it well it was more than that. They ran over more like her more than once. You know, yeah, it wasn't course. a mistake. It was definitely a murder. And obviously, there's tons of podcasts and things that do these stories. So hopefully, maybe because of things like this, it gets people's interests. And one day, maybe a 70-year-old man will be asked, what were you doing on that night? And who knows? Maybe someone will be brought to justice. 